You're listening to an Al-Mahdi Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'll just give you the context of this particular surah. Now, this is a Meccan surah. Now, in Makkah, the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, did not talk extensively about the ahkam. He was rebuttaling the arguments of the Meccans. What you find in the Meccan surah is they're more theologically based. They're talking about the existence of God. They're trying to shift the paradigm. They're taking the people's minds away from their belief systems and trying to direct them towards the God-centric understanding of the universe. Now in that, generally, the theme of the surah is God, the being of God, that He is one. The author of the universe, the one who governs all life, the one who is a Lord, nurturing agent of existence of human beings and all existence. And as a result, all obedience is due and owed to Allah only. So the surah very profoundly impresses upon the minds that God is the sole creator, the sole author, the nurturer, the one who brings everything to its completion, and hence he is owed all servitude. Similarly, the surah impresses upon the minds that human being is the subject of the journey of life. And therefore, success and failure is determined by the individual state of the human being. So at one point, it talks about groups of human beings and collective destiny. But at a very fundamental level, the human being is awoken to the fact that you are responsible for your success or your damnation, and it's your individualistic journey. And it makes this sharp distinction between the outer bodily aspect and the inner psychological, spiritual being that is there. So it also talks to the individual and says, but look, there is a day of reckoning. And on that day of reckoning, you will either gain or lose. So there is no outlet for you but to reflect on what is being said. So these are the vast and broad theological themes that the surah is talking about. And in the course of that, it is asking the human being to reflect profoundly, to turn inward, and to respond to the questions that the surah is posing. And at the same time, it is dismantling the thoughts that are already there, the worldview that is already there, very slowly dismantling one by one. Now, as I said, this surah does not have ahkam. Because in Makkah, it's not a question of ahkam. They are a subsequent facet that the Sharia gives. By the way, when I use the word Sharia, it means in the sense of the lock, stock and barrel of the communication of God. More in the Sufi sense rather than in the legalistic sense of jurisprudence. Sharia means the lock, stock and barrel of the communication of God, whether it's spiritual, moral or the regulative system. <clears throat> Now here is something that we need to say. That, and we'll make this very clear as we go through the first 15 verses. That the Quran is from the divine agency. Without qualifying the meaning of divine or the meaning of divine agency. That will remain ambiguous for us. We might work through it in the course of the next few weeks. It is, through divine, it is by divine agency but within a human context. We have to remember these two facets of what we are saying. These have to be borne in mind at all points. That Quran is by divine agency, 
within a human context. Now, what is a human context? We will also be explaining this as we go along and we'll be working through it. These are some of the things we need to bear in mind when we read the Quran. Now, the Quran, I need to give this analogy, is somebody coming to us from a distant land. We are in the North Pole, let us say. We are only accustomed to snow and to fishing and extracting our sustenance. We are only accustomed to hostile weather. We see the sun as a bright object in the sky, not necessarily something that burns. That painter has come from a place where they see green plants, where they see animals running, where they see plants and fruits, where they see sun as providing energy and heat, where they see the darkness of night giving much anticipated coolness so people can sleep and it's something that people want. Now he is in the North Pole explaining to us the Eskimos about this distant land that he has seen and we can't relate to it at all. Greenness, we don't know what it means. Animals running, we don't know. Birds chirping away, we don't know. The leaves being rattled, we don't know what it all means. We don't know how night is so good and how sun is so warm. So that person will have to now depict that distant land to us in a way that we can appreciate it. So the picture that that person paints for us, let's say he's an artist, will not truly be depicting what he sees. That is the human context. He will be using our knowledge base to convey that distant, the picture of that distant land that we can never appreciate because we've never seen anything like it. So that particular thing will have to be conveyed to us on the basis of our experiences and our knowledge. Now, having said that, as with all paintings, it will consist of the truth as the truth is. It will consist of that land as that land is. And that we will think we are understanding it because our recourse to it is our experience base. But that artist is nonetheless expressing something that he has seen or she has seen, which is beyond our reach. So we will feel that we are seeing it, but we are not seeing it. Same is the Quran. It is in our context or the context that the Prophet existed in. Some of those things that are in the Quran are for the immediate context of the Prophet that are not relevant outside his immediate context. But Surah Zumar does not have many verses like that. The rest of them are in the human context for as long as the Quran is going to address humanity. But there are certain facets of the Quran that are within its own context where the author is giving the truth in the mind of the author as the truth stands, whether we understand it or not. So there's a whole false notion that we need to understand the whole of the Quran. We will never understand it. So the first thing we need to admit to is the Quran is ambiguous. And I will point at every instance that this is how we are extrapolating from the Quran because we are forced to extrapolate due to our human condition. Our human condition cannot exist in isolation of understanding. We have to make sense of the broader universe. At every instance, the astrophysicists will give us an understanding of the universe which appears to them to be accurate because there's a need inside us to make sense of our existence. But that's not accurate and yet it is accurate. By tomorrow it will 
change. So the Quran of necessity has to be ambiguous. Not everything of the Quran has to make sense to us at present. There are a lot of words in the Quran that have no relevance for me and you. The relevance is a greater relevance. Now you will see in the Quran that Allah is using the word deen, 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 deen. Now we will ask ourselves, not as faithful creatures. As faithful creatures, we are committed to making sense of the Quran. But as liberated minds, we can pose the question, what is the need for this repetition? I see no need inside there. And indeed, the Arab who was receiving the Quran had no understanding of why this verse is being repeated. Mukhlisan lahuddin. Mukhlisan lahuddin. Why repeat it? But we are forced to make sense of it and Mufassirin will make sense of it. But that sense is rather nonsensical because it doesn't make sense. The Quran in its entirety will make sense to its own author. And now, we will point at such verses and if they are scattered in the Quran, you will see that this verse in the way I am trying to understand it has no sense in it. Its sense is a greater sense. When you do numerology, when you weigh up the word male and female, walad and bint, son and daughter, you will see at the end of the whole Quran, when you read the whole thing and get the whole date accurately, you will see that the same time Adam is mentioned, the devil is mentioned, for example. Man is mentioned, woman is mentioned. But at one point in that particular verse, there was no need to mention the son, like in the verses of inheritance. God mentions the word son, and I often say to my class that, look, he needn't have mentioned this. There was no relevance for mentioning this. The relevance of mentioning this here is in the greater context because it has to balance itself out. Allah says in Surah Rahman, Mizan. He has placed a beautiful scale. That scale is prevalent in the whole of the Quran. So what I'm trying to say here is that it's a glimpse of the truth as it stands, yet within the human context. But there are many verses that just don't have to make sense to us in the way we are trying to understand. Now, the Quran says, they are muhkamat in the kitab. Firm verses. Hunna ummul kitab. They are the mother of the book. And others are ambiguous. Nobody knows them save Allah. Because the author's mind, of course, when I say mind, it doesn't mean brain, yes? It means author's mind. There's a lack of ability to express the being of God, and that's why we use such words. The author's mind is the one that grasps what it is saying. And it is not necessary till all eternity that human beings can make sense of those verses. Now, having said that, that's as a, as a prelude. So we have to be always humbled in front of the Quran that I really don't understand it. I'm trying to make a uh, sense of it. At times I'm imposing meaning on it due to the human condition that requires the human being to resolve things and to solve it and to make sense of it. But as far as possible, I'm not going to uh, try and be a faithful servant of the Quran in saying that this is what it means. I'll be very open and say, look, I don't know what it means. And it maybe doesn't have any meaning here. It has probably meanings elsewhere to try and be least presumptuous as possible, to be open and try to be an Arab within the 7th century Arabia. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Now the word Tanzil of the Quran, it's used in the first verse, Tanzilul Kitab. If you look at the second one, it says, Inna anzalna ilaykal kitab. Here the word Kitab is being used. Now, when we look at the Qur'an accurately and the utility of the word kitab, we immediately conclude that the Qur'an and kitab are same and not the same realities. That kitab is a broader truth and Qur'an is a manifestation of that broader truth. So it retains the kitab, but the human context makes the Qur'an into Qur'an and not the kitab. 
Now we find references to the kitab in the Quran. Fi kitabin mubin. That kitabun mubin, everything is within the kitabun mubin. So I often ask, is everything within the Quran? The answer is, it may be, but we don't understand it. So then we need the most accurate of intellects endowed by God to extrapolate those meanings of everything within the Quran, but we can't do it. And Allah says, لا يمسوه إلا المطهرون None can touch the book, save the most purified, the purified of mind and intellect. So in one verse, Allah says, إِنَّهُ لَقُرْآنٌ كَرِيمٌ It is the Quran Karim, فِي كِتَابٍ مَكْنُونٌ فِي لَوْحٍ مَحْفُوظٍ In the hidden book, in the guarded sacred tablet. So kitab, we gave Musa the kitab, we gave you the kitab. ذَلِكَ kitab. We always say ذَلِكَ kitab means this book, but it actually also means that book which is now coming in the form of the Qur'an, so you will say this book, yes? Now, it is like saying, human. Zaid is human. Yet, Amr is also human. And both of them are humans, and yet they are very different in their humanity, and the grade of their humanity. So, Qur'an and Torah are both kitab. But kitab is more encompassing than Qur'an and Torah. And Qur'an and Torah are both pointing at that same reality. If you look at the verses very carefully, and this will be obviously one of my topics in this Muharram's discussions. If you look at it very, very carefully, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about kitab as one reality. Now this overemphasis on kitab within the Qur'an and writing and scripts and the word. When you look at these carefully, you will know that actually there is something going on that does not reveal itself very immediately to us. That this whole creation is considered as kitab. The whole of this creation is considered as the words of God. If all the oceans, if all the trees were to become pens, and if all the oceans were ink, and if several other oceans were to aid it, the words of God will not end and the oceans will dry up. So what are the words of God? Kalimatullah. It appears that these are the words of God. Every single thing in action but to me, we are appearing as human beings, as plants, as animals, as planets, as stars, as galaxies. For this work, which is the Quran, these are all termed as words. These are words in themselves. An analogy I can give is, on the screen of the computer, we see imagery. We visualize things. The programmer sees letters, numbers, sequences. The programmer sees very differently. If there was a chemist here, they can probably go beyond the veil of faces and features and look at the molecular constitution of each one of us. They will say, this is carbon in this way, this is carbon in this way, this is carbon in this way. They're all made of carbon, for example, but they appear in this way and that way and that way. Similarly, when we read the Quran very accurately, we find that actually the author of the Quran sees the underlying reality and we are looking at the superficial and the exterior of the world. They are looking at the interior of the world. And that is why there is this emphasis in the Quran of words of God and the malakut of God. Malakut of Allah. For Allah is the malakut of the heavens and the earth. What is the malakut? The underlying reality of it all, not what appears to you and you and I. So there is a very different reality. Now, if you look at the deliberations of the Mufassirin, tanzil means gradual revelation. So here, what the Mufassirin conclude is that the Qur'an has been revealed gradually, tanzilul kitab, the revelation, gradual revelation of the book. And we know from the history of the Prophet that it was a gradual revelation, yes? So we know the Qur'an came bit by bit by bit. But the next one, the next verse is saying, inna anzalna ilaykal kitab. 
we have revealed to you the not tanzil. Anzala means to reveal in one shot. So there is certain inconsistency. In one point it says tanzilul kitab. In another point, inna anzalna ilaykal kitab, for example. So how do you then reconcile between this inconsistency? Here is the exegy that I, in my humble capacity, provide. It's known as the existential exegy. That this reality, the overwhelming truth, which is the book of existence, reveals itself in every era. In the era of Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Rasulullah it's revealing itself gradually with the evolution of the human mind. It's revealing itself gradually. And that is why the Jews and the Christians are told to abide by their Torah and their Injil. Because in spirituality and morality, the underlying truth is the same. The only thing that is changing is the formal regulative systems. So Tanzilul Kitab means the real Kitab that is being revealed from time to time as the human mind ripens, the same thing is being revealed in a different way. So the artist is saying to the Eskimos, now that you've got a glimpse of a land beyond your own locality, I will redraw that painting. So you now with the added experience base can relate to it even further. Anzalna ilayk means now the Quran has come to you. Anzalna means in one shot the Quran has come to your soul. Yes? And now it will come in bits afterwards. But Tanzil is most accurately the book of reality. The truth, which is the existential truth, that reveals itself in the form of Torah, Injil and whatever. And Inzal, yes? Is the Quran, the Torah, Injil coming in one shot. And then, again, after it comes in one shot, then it is spoken by the prophet bit by bit by bit but it has come to a particular realm in the universe now as we progress scientifically the mystical interpretations give way to scientific interpretations allah says to isa inni mutawaffika wa rafi'uka ilayya i will raise you to me it actually means a physical raising there is something going on in the deeper galaxy in the milky way there is something there yes in anzalna fi lailatin mubarakah Layla Mubarak, it's a cosmic truth, as we discussed in the lecture of Laylatul Qadr. But think about this. Allah says, indeed, a day of ours is a thousand years of your reckoning. The heavens, the heaven, the, the angels descend from the heaven to the earth in a day that is 50,000 years of your reckoning. And if we look at the center of the Milky Way, it's 50,000 years. It's light years, not years of you know, the sun and earth. But this is talking about cosmic realities. So now, in the past, because of the need to interpret the Quran... We were forced to give it meanings. Today, in a newer context, with newer knowledge base, we are giving newer interpretations to it. But we have to humble ourselves and say, well, it might not be the truth. I might have misunderstood it all totally. I don't recognize that plant or that animal due to my limited context. But at least I can make some more sense of it. But at least one thing we can say, that as we are progressing scientifically, our tendency of reliance on mystical interpretation is lessening and more and more we are finding that we are interpreting the universe as given by Quran in a more real way as it is observed beyond us. <clears throat> the other thing the Quran keeps on mentioning is bilhaq, with the truth. Bilhaq, what does it mean? Now, the Prophet of Allah said, Fassirul Quran, in the Quran, you fassir ba'adu ba'da. The Quran gives exegy of its own self, through its own self. Fassirul Quran, bi ba'da then use some portions of the Qur'an to 
interpret other portions of the Quran. Now, if you see, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهُ وَالْحَقِّ وَأَنَّمَا يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ هُوَ الْبَاطِلِ That is because Allah, He is the truth. And what they call upon other than Him, that is false. So we are finding that the word haq and batil is used in the sense of accuracy and inaccuracy. So here, whichever agency is speaking to the Prophet Muhammad at this point, if it's Jibreel or an agent or God directly speaking to the Prophet Muhammad, he is saying this book has been revealed. The book, yes? The book has been revealed in the form of the Quran with utmost accuracy. Maybe to tell the Prophet of Islam that have no doubt in your mind. This is utmost accuracy because you might be baffled at times as to what it means. Now I know my listeners might be a little bit dismayed at what I have to say. But Tabatabai Rahmahullah quotes, In kuntum fi raybim mimma nazzalna ala abdina fa'atu bisuratin min mithli. If you're in any doubt, as to what we have revealed upon our slave, then bring a chapter like it from us, one like him. It's amazing. Tabatabai quotes that it does not mean one like it as a surah, it means one like him, the Prophet. The Prophet is saying, the Quran is saying to the people, did he ever write with his right hand? Then how did he all of a sudden learn all of these things? In the, in, in the movie, The Messenger, we find Abu Sufyan and him talking. And he says, but he has never spoken like this before. We are forced to admit that whatever he is saying is not of his own accord. Something is coming to him. And the Quran is asking the people, did you ever see him speak like this before? Or write with his right hand? What is with your minds? Surely you should think that all of a sudden, one fine day, he begins to speak like this. He's never spoken like this before. He is beginning to speak like this at this point. So this must be something other than Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's own doing. It is not fabrication. This has to have something, some other explanation. And that explanation is that this is a revelation. Can you see that? So Bil Haq was possibly at that point immediately in the human context of Prophet Muhammad that this is the truth. It is not batil. This is the truth. So you take reassurance. But we cannot confine the meaning to that. Because bilhaq, as soon as we try and decipher the meaning of haq, then the whole of the meaning of this verse will change. It might retain the former interpretation, but it will give way to a broader interpretation. Mukhlisan lahu ad Now another verse that, um, word that is causing a lot of um, sort of um, inquiry is the word deen. What does deen mean? The word deen was also in Aramaic language and Hebrew language. Deen means, in Hebrew language, judgment. We are saying, Maliki Yawm Ad-Deen. The owner of the day of Deen. What is Deen there? Of judgment. So it has retained that Hebrew meaning, Deen of judgment. But here we are in the Deen, Allah Al-Islam. Deen with Allah is Islam. Yes? Deen, 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 Deen. What does it mean? Mukhlis and Deen. Mukhlis and Lahud Deen. Now, when you look at the Qur'an very carefully, deen does not mean sharia. Lakum deenukum kul ya There was no sharia in the sense of the law system at that elaborate way that the Prophet would say, for you is your sharia, for me is my sharia. When you look at the Qur'an very, very carefully, deen means an orientation. An orientation. Orientation towards life. A whole worldview and an outlook. 
Now, if you look at this verse and you consider that it is being recited upon the Arabians who are worshipping deities, then this means that deen, the orientation, is of God-centricity. That's the only orientation you need to have. All servitude, all servitude, all your striving, all your life's ambitions, all your peak desires have to be God-centric. Now, mukhlis here means what? Purely for Allah. So, of course, there's different layers of meanings here. It's not for Lat, not for Uzzah, not for the past practices of our forefathers, not for he, not for her, not for these big saints, nobody. Not for any prophet, it's only Allah. Mukhlisan, lahuddin. The whole of the striving has to be purely for Allah. This verse actually made a lot of sense to the Meccans and they were really challenged by it. That how can he be telling us that we go away from the life that we are accustomed to, in which there is so much else that we do for so many deities, so many practices, so many customs, so many following of so many traditions of our forefathers. How can they say that your orientation only has to be God? Nothing. So it was very frightening, this verse, because it was a real shift in paradigm, purely for God. So it means now, even for the Muslim, that it can't even be for your own self. It can't even be for me getting paradise or being warded off from hell or me getting my own prestige. Nothing. It has to be purely for God. It's such a huge thing to ask. For them, it made that sense. For us, in a more subtle way, it makes what sense? That everything that you do, you have to be mindful that it has to be purely for the sake of God, not for your saints, not for your prophets, not for the family of your prophet. It has to be for God. There has to be absolute God-centricity. This is what the verse is crying out and the verse is saying. Now the answer is that, okay, what about ziyarat and all that? No. We will see that in the next verse. It clarifies it very, very carefully that no, that is not what God means, that you don't do ziyarat and things like that. It means it has to be God-centric and after that do whatever it is, but in a God-centric manner and that is fine. Now, when people talk about mukhlis, sincerity, people are often mistaken as to the meaning of sincerity. What is the meaning of sincerity? Is it that a person naively says, oh, I do this for the sake of God. So therefore, there is an argument that says, well, ISIS sincerely kill people for the sake of God. Now, we have to now again reinterpret the meaning of sincerity. Sincerity, when we look at the book of God, means that ego and arrogance is not prevalent. It is for Allah. So somebody says, without my ego, I'm killing other people. The answer is, if it is for the sake of Allah, then Allah is the giver of life. Allah does not take life. So when we talk about sincerity, we are talking about becoming productive and the agency of production, because that is what we witness in the world of God. Think about this carefully. We always term good as that which is productive, and we always term as evil that which is detrimental and destructive. So what do we say? We say killing is detrimental, and hence when Imam Ali Alayhi came from a battle, the blessed Prophet of Allah said what? He said, oh Ali, all the people, of the enemies of God that you've put to death, and everything that the sun shines upon from its east to the west, is nothing in comparison to one soul that is guided aright through you. Allah says in the Quran, the worth of human life, he who kills a soul transgressively has killed mankind in its entirety. 
the worth of one's soul is weighed against mankind. And we'll explain that afterwards as well, that there's a big secret in that that Allah SWT is trying to impart. So, ikhlas means what? Becoming God-like. Becoming God-like and leaving our own tendencies to one side. And when somebody becomes God-like, then he says, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. He begins his Quran with Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Sincerity means what? To become God-like and productive. Yes? The Blessed Prophet, in his lifetime, gave growth, production, and life. Imagine, in his missionary role of 23 years, he loses 350, 60 people only, less than 400 people, and manages to create a League of Nations. Yeah? The acts of religious people, whether Christian crusaders or Muslim ISIS, in the name of God, that unleashes sword is nothing to do with sincerity. In fact, I will also go as far as to say this, and forgive me, that the expansion of Islam by the force of the sword may not have been anything to do with sincerity at all. And I know for a fact that if Ali ibn Abi Talib had been at the helm of Khilafah, he would not have unleashed his sword. He would have been like his master, the Prophet of Islam, in educating people and bringing them towards God not conquering people and then allowing them to be in whatever religion they want to be, but conquer them. He would not have done that. Because that does not serve the purpose of God. Because Allah will say in this surah later on, in takfuru, if you do kufr, it doesn't mean anything to Allah. He doesn't want your Islam or your kufr. It doesn't mean anything to him. Yarda ankum, yarda ankum ashukr, right? The verse is saying, when tashkuru, yarda ankum. If you give thanks, he will be happy for you. <clears throat> so mukhlis means to become productive, becoming God-like. And deen means that orientation towards God. And therefore, deen's overwhelming meaning is orientation, God-centered orientation, outlook towards life. And the lesser meaning of deen is judgment. Allah lillah ad-deen al-khalis. Indeed, for Allah is the deen purely now here, I find this verse very ambiguous. Is it talking about the reality of deen in itself? That no matter what orientation we have, it is nothing but an orientation towards God. The Sufis would be inclined to interpret it in this way. That whether you run behind gold or silver, killing people in order to gain power, coveting life, this is all orientation, orientation towards God whether you like it or not. Because you're trying to be God-like. Why do you want unending life? Because your God is unending in his life. Why do you want power absolute? Because your God is power absolute. Why do you want possession of gold and silver? Because your God owns everything. Is it talking about that existential truth? That whether you like it or not, you can't flee from God. No matter what orientation you have, inevitably it's the orientation towards God. Purely towards God, whether you like it or not. Even in your transgressive ways, you are just trying to find your God. Or is it talking about informing the community that look, in reality, the orientation only has to be godly orientation, not anything else. So here comes the meaning of layered interpretations of the Quran. Then I hope we can see some of that and get, get glimpses uh, of that. وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَوْلِيَا now the people who take besides Allah, awliya, awliya here means authority. 
because Allah is taken as an authority. So here the meaning of awliya does not mean wali as in the sense of the saintly soul. It means awliya as authorities. Now they're saying, and it's immediately in the context of the Meccans. So this might not be something that at the face value applies to anybody else apart from those Meccans. They are saying we do not worship them, save for them to take us closer to God. And those who take besides God authorities. Their justification is what? That we are only worshipping them because they draw us near to God and inevitably we are only going to God. And God frowns upon this. Allah is frowning upon this as if Allah does not want any intermediary in that way, in that intimate way. Can you see that? It does not mean intermediation of the Prophet and the Imams because that intermediation is a fatherly type of an intermediation, not the one in which people are devoted to them. Yes? But intermediation in the sense that we are in love with these things and God is the unknown and they will take us to God. God is frowning on that. He's saying, no, you need to have an independent bonding with me directly. But look at interestingly what comes after. Allah will judge amongst them on the day of Qiyamah in what they, in what they deferred in. You will find this expression repeated again and again and again in, from Baqarah till the end. Now, of course, Surah Baqarah came in Medina. This comes before Surah Baqarah. So there is consistency in which Allah is saying, I will decide and judge in what you were indifferent of. And in many places Allah says, and you'll find this, that he will inform you of what you used to do. It seems to me very much so that we have made a pact with God. And this world is not what we are understanding it to be. It's a very different world. Truly. Our relationships in this world are not real. They are only forged arbitrarily. There is no son, there is no father, there is no wife, there is no husband, there is nobody. Allah says in the Quran, you will all come to me individually. Momentarily, you are caught in this world. In this world, you are enjoying arbitrarily the properties of this world. But in reality, this is not the truth. There is some pact being made and I will be the judge of what you did and how you differed with each other. Imagine. These verses will not make sense save by the assumption that there is a particular pact that's already been made with God and we've come down here. I could have been the father of anybody and the son of anybody. It doesn't make any difference. It's very arbitrary at that level. I'm on my individual task in this world. And Allah will make a mention of this later on that they have forgotten. And only such people remember or are mindful. By the way, when you talk about forgetting, it doesn't mean forgetting a piece of information. It becoming becoming mindless, that's what it means, and we'll come to it. <clears throat> so something is definitely going on that the minds are being awoken to, that look, this world is not what you assume it to be. It's something different. It's not all this Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and you guys killing each other and trying to make each other Muslims and kafirs. The kafir is you in a kafir form and the Muslim is you in a Muslim form. <laughs> something very tremendous is going on beyond all of these specifications. Indeed, Allah does not use the word Islam in the Quran as the religion of Islam. Only a very few occasions he uses it as Islam, the religion. By and large, he's using it as an existential thing. Surrender to God as he will use it in a little while. In Allah, la yahdi man huwa kadibun kafar. Allah will not guide that one who is a liar and a denier. Now, this verse clearly says that in this life, Salvation and damnation are left open. 
that God has not determined this for anybody. Think about it. The prophet said, all of you simultaneously have a place in paradise and a place in hell. You will decide which one you vacate and which one you occupy. Isn't that amazing? That simultaneously you have two places. Either or. You will decide where you go finally. You will decide your destiny. So Allah at that level has left it open. And Allah is saying he will not guide. What does that mean? When Allah says he can guide whoever he wants, he can misguide whoever he wants, that is there for us to be humble in front of God that you can do whatever you want, keep me humbled. But here Allah is saying something totally different or the Quran is saying totally different that you will determine when God guides you or does not guide you. If you are a liar and if you are a denier then God will not guide you. Why? Because that eligibility inside you is not there. Now kufr is an inner act and kidb is an outer act. Kufr means to deny. So God is saying kafar means the greatest denier. You are clothing the truth inside you. Now, I'll ask this of all of us. When somebody makes a rational argument that is so straightforward, black and white, what happens? People get offended. <laughs> what do they do? They cover it up. It's a rational argument. There is no three ways about it. It's either right or it's either wrong. If you can defeat the argument, it's fine. But if you get emotional, that means the argument has not been defeated. Can you see that? See, somebody cannot defeat the argument but gets offended, it means they are now verging in the state of kufr because they're denying what is being said inside there. Abraham went and broke the idols. They said, did you? Did you do this with our gods? He said, but the big one did it. Look, the big one. Yeah. You know, they said, Ibrahim, did you do this? The big one did this. It was so shocking. It was so shocking that the big God demolished the little gods. He said, look, he's here. He's your big God. He was watching. He's got the axe in his neck. He is the one who has destroyed them. They went deep inside their souls. Innakum, you indeed are oppressive people. They said in their own souls, you are oppressive people. For a moment, rationality went through in their hearts. For a moment, it went through. Then they became emotive. And they said, Ibrahim, you know these things don't talk. So Ibrahim said, why do you worship that which does not talk? It can't defend itself. Why do you worship it? But the point here is that kufr is an inner state. You find this, the Muslim community, the Christian, the faithful community has to awaken that all these fanciful beliefs and practices that we have are irrational. They don't have any rational basis. Religion was there to liberate. The Quran was offending the Meccans. In a way, today, some enlightened souls offend the Muslims. Yes? The Quran was offending them. He was saying, don't you think, don't you people have any sense? Does it make sense? Then they became emotive and they cursed the Prophet and they threw stones at him and they drove him out of his community. The same thing is happening to Muslims. You say to Muslims, really, does it really make sense to you what you guys are doing? In 80s, I went for Hajj. I walked in a pool of blood, nearly up to my knees, walking on dead carcasses. Why? Yeah, they have to be slaughtered here. So does it make any sense? Does it really make any sense? The Quran says, Feed the one who is content and the one who is a passerby. Feed. Feed them. And we're walking on it. You remember? But you ask these people, does it make any sense? Why can't I slaughter the animal in Qom or Najaf or Africa or, or Ethiopia? Why? 
Does God want that blood to be spilled? We all have so much meat in Makkah that we feel we want to go vegan or vegetarian. There is so much meat that we get sick of eating meat. That's not really true, actually. <laughs> we, we are meat eaters, right? But what I'm trying to say here is that a rational argument is given. But people deny because they become offended. Whenever offense comes, do you know what that means? It means it's your personal truth. It's nothing to do with God. Why do I get offended? If it's the truth of God, then why am I getting offended? I have not made the religion. God has made the religion. <laughs> if somebody says it is senseless, then say, well, God, you've made a senseless religion. And then the answer will be, no, it was for that context. It wasn't supposed to go beyond that context. You've stretched it all the way here. So kufr is an inner state. Kadhab means the outer manifestation of that inner kufr. And Allah says he will not guide such a person because they have sealed themselves. My time is finished. <clears throat> And I, I, I'll have to admit that the themes that are in there, we will cover them inevitably and eventually if Allah so wills. Support Al Mahadi Institute. Visit almahadi.edu.